good evening. I want to thank you for your prayers both night and tonight and leading up to tonight. Thank the men who teach here know how and learn how much we're dependent upon the Lord for his help upon the spirit. If you would stand with me tonight out of reverence for the word and turn to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter 15. We want to look at the first 15 verses here. <clears throat> 2 Samuel 15. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him and Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate and it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment then Absalom called unto him and said of what city art thou and he said thy servant is one of the tribes of Israel and Absalom said unto him see thy matters are good and right but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man that hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow when I abode in Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem. That were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileanite, the Gileanite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. 
Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever, my lord, the king shall appoint. You may be seated. Let's pray again. Father, we so need your help tonight. Lord, how many times in scriptures, and even of the disciples, it is said they lifted up their voice. Lord, help this man to lift up his voice. Lord, not for my glory, but Lord, may it be for thy glory. Be glorified tonight. May we, may we sit at your feet and learn of you. Give strength, Lord, and help. Our bodies are tired. Our minds can be weary. Lord, refresh us tonight. Thank you, Lord, that you have already encouraged our hearts tonight. Enlarge them. Enlarge them in thy word. Enlarge them by your spirit. Lord, we pray for your peace, your help, your strength, your holiness. All that you are, Lord, all that we can have of you by your spirit. Lord, fill us tonight afresh and anew with thy spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <clears throat> I want to focus tonight on 2 Samuel 15, 6. So if you would look at with me again at verse 6 of 2 Samuel 15 that we read. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. I think that verse 6 could be naturally divided into two parts. The first being at the end of the verse that says that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And the second noted at the beginning of the verse the manner in which he did it. And I would like to focus tonight on this fact and truth that Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And maybe at some other point, maybe look at the manner. Both are important, what he did and how he did it. We have read some of how he did it tonight, but there is much more. There is so much history here and so much truth. But we want to concentrate our attention on that last part so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Do forgive me if I drink much. I want to start tonight with a question. And I want us to look at it honestly and examine ourselves in the light of Scripture. Who has your heart? Who has your heart? Now, when I ask, when I ask this question, bear in mind, I'm not just asking you who has your heart. I'm putting all of us in that. So I'm asking for myself as well. Who has your heart? I believe it's a fair and relevant question for us and a good question as well and a searching question. We could also ask this. What has your heart? What has your heart? Now, this too would be a viable question for self-examination. There are certainly things in this life that 
may become the source of temptation to us, that we could set our hearts on and they could become idols. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, while, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. We can, we can love money. We can set our hearts upon coveting after money. Paul instructs Timothy that this was the root of all evil and that some had even erred from the faith through their covetousness. We could spend our whole time tonight on that question and focus on it, on what has your heart. But I want to look at who has your heart. I think the answer for what has your heart is critical. But I believe that if we could evaluate the who, I think we could answer the what. Who has your heart? And throughout this lesson, I may refer back to that question. And we also could ask it like this. To whom does your heart belong? To whom does your heart belong? Or where is your heart? Now, these are all searching questions if we consider them honestly. And in the context of our passage, I think that we could look at those these questions, this, yeah, these questions two different ways. I believe that we could look at this question from the standpoint of our vertical relationship with God. And we could ask, who has your heart? Or to whom does your heart belong? This would certainly be the foundational question. Ultimately, every love or desire will find its proper place in response to this question, who has your heart? However, I believe there is another aspect to this question and one that is a prominent player in our scripture passage tonight. We could also ask these questions in reference to our horizontal relationships, especially our brethren, the household of God. If we were to ask today, who has your heart or to whom does your heart belong? Our first response ought to be, of course, that our heart belongs to God. Our lives belong to him. He is the first and the last, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is our all in all. We are bought with a price. We love him because he first loved us. Our hearts belong to him. This, of course, is foundational. But what if we were asked to ask this question tonight, who has your heart, in terms of the members of a local congregation, in terms of the body of Christ, his church? What if we were to ask this question in regards to our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Who has your heart? To whom does your heart belong? Where is your heart? What if we were to ask these questions right here in our local congregation, the Church of Jesus Christ at Mount Zion Bible Church? And we could, of course, expand this to include others outside this local congregation, or we could condense it down to our own individual families. But when considering this congregation of believers, 
What if we ask, who has your heart? Mount Zion Bible Church, who has your heart? To whom does your heart belong? I believe that this is not only a fair question, but a necessary one. If we ask the question, who has your heart? And the answer is first and foremost, the Lord Jesus Christ, then that is good and right. But is that all the farther that it goes? Or are there more implications in this question? Should it not follow that if Christ has our hearts, then our hearts should also be engaged in loving his body, his church, his people? Several paid prayed tonight for the love of the brethren. Listen to Paul in his letter to the Philippians, Philippians 1, 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, insomuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippians. He wants to encourage them in the Lord. He loves them. You hear it in his speech. We hear it over and over in his epistles. Even when he is rebuking, he is still speaking the truth in love. And he tells them here, even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. Everything that I am saying, everything that I'm preaching to you, whether in rebuke or encouragement, it is because I have you in my heart. And according to the footnote in my Bible, it could also read this way. Even as it is meet for me to thank this of you all, because ye, because ye have me in your heart. Friends, this is reciprocal. This ought to be reciprocal. To say that I have you in my heart should be just as real, clear, and true as to say that ye have me in your heart. This is the church of a living Christ. That's it. This is the church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against. <clears throat> and this is the church by which the world will know that Christ is real. The church of Jesus Christ is a fellowship of love, and it is a fellowship of believers in Christ who love one another. Colossians 2.2 says this, For I would that ye know how great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and as for many have, as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. And unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. <laughs> a mouthful. He says a lot there. I wish I knew everything that that meant. The goal and desire that our hearts, I'm sorry, the goal and desire that the hearts of the Colossian church would be knit together in love is founded on the truth and power of the Godhead. 
the work of the Trinity and an understanding of the unity of the Godhead is essential to the outworking of the love God's people have and demonstrate for one another. Let me repeat that. <clears throat> the work of the Trinity and an understanding of the unity of the Godhead is essential to the outworking of the love God's people have and demonstrate for one another. Our hearts being knit together in love is not possible without God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Without the work of the very Godhead in our midst, we would never see the love of God. Amen. Some may say that they do not see the Holy Spirit in this verse. But I would tell you that the third person of the Trinity is all over this verse. First of all, he inspired it. Holy men spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They did not speak on their own. No, they were moved by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit may not be mentioned here by name, but none of these blessings are revealed to us outside the work of the Spirit. Our hearts will not be comforted without the Spirit's. We will not be knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God without the Spirit. Now, when we see the scripture unfolded before us that we have read, we see a divided kingdom. Israel is divided. Allegiance is divided. Loyalty is divided. And were we to go around the nation of Israel and ask, who has your heart? What answers might we hear? Of course, the first response might be a profession of faith in God. A profession that proclaims our love for God, our desire to serve him, and that we belong to him. But here's the problem. Who in Israel would confess anything else than what we just said? Would not all claim that they love and serve God and that he has their heart? Yes, I believe that most would. But Israel is in trouble. Huge trouble. They're divided. There is great contention. There is great confusion. And there is great division in the camp. The lines are being drawn. The air is thick. There is no peace and safety in Israel. And there is no escaping this marked division. And in the midst of all of this, the question is, who has your heart? If you're in Israel right now, you are either ignorant concerning everything that's happening, or you are aware, but you are going to bury your head in the sand and pretend that everything's okay, which is, by the way, a deliberate choice. Or you are going to look to Absalom as your new king. Or you are going to stay the course with God's anointed King David. Now, that sounds simple. 
And it may seem to us like a clear-cut choice because we are reading this. But there is enough going on in this chapter that has muddied the waters and made the choices to be unclear and questionable. Satan is doing a work to divide and conquer Israel. And he is going to sweep many souls into heresy and betrayal. And beyond that, death and hell. When we consider the question, who has your heart on a horizontal level as it relates to men, we must be careful that we are not setting this up to be following a man, per se. We can become idol worshipers of men. We can become idol worshipers of good men, of godly men, of godly men who have proven themselves for a time to be seemingly be faithful or to be faithful. We can, we can make an idol of any man. True preachers of the gospel do not want that. That is not their aim and focus. It says in the word that uh, 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 Paul didn't seek to have power over men's faith, but to be helpers of their faith. Amen. That's what the true pastor wants to do. Praise God. He's given his pastor after, pastors after his heart, his heart. No man is worthy of your worship. No man is worthy of your worship. No angel is worthy of your worship. But one man, the Lord Jesus Christ. One plants and one waters, but God gives the increase. We can only follow someone to the extent that they follow Christ. But our eyes should always be on Christ. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Be ye followers of me even as I also am of Christ. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Paul is not charging men to follow him rather than Christ. He is not saying, look to me, all ye ends of the earth. Paul is also not saying, that to follow him is as good as following Christ. There are some professors of faith in Christ that live and teach as though you ought to please them, and that if you please them and get their approval, then Christ is also pleased, and you will have his approval. Friends, that's a trap. There is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We have no other substitute. Paul is speaking here of imitation. The word for followers, be followers of me, means to be imitators. Imitators. <laughs> Potatoes came to mind there, sorry. Um, Paul was an example and a testimony of what it meant to walk with Christ. He wanted other men to walk with Christ. Follow me. Follow my example. And imitate me as ye look to Christ and follow him. Also, let me say, 
that this question of who has your heart is not about choosing sides. It's not just about this man over this man, but rather it is this. If our vertical relationship is right and our hearts belong to God, then will it not follow that our horizontal relationships will also be right and our hearts will belong to the people of God, his church, his body. If my heart belongs to God in Christ and I am his and he is mine, he, it is going to affect every other earthly relationship. Who has my heart vertically will determine who has my heart horizontally. This is borne out in scripture when a lawyer tempted Jesus by asking him, which is the greatest commandment in the, the great commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. If we were to take a sheet of paper and fold it in half. And we were to paint on one side a picture. And while that paint is still wet, we would fold that paper and then open it back up. You would see a mirrored image of the, of the painting that you had made. Perhaps a little marred, but an obvious reflection of the image that you painted. If God has your heart and you love him supremely... There is going to be a mirrored reflection of that in your relationship with the church, his church. Perhaps a little marred here and there. But it'll be obvious that the earthly bears the image of the heavenly. David is king, and he is rightfully king. He did not make himself king. God chose and ordained David to be the king of Israel. Amen. God sent Samuel the prophet to anoint David as king. And when Samuel saw Eliab, Jesse's firstborn, he made the same mistake that Israel made with King Saul. Scripture says that when Samuel saw Eliab, he said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before me. And the Lord said to Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature. Behold, or because I have refused him. For man looketh on outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. God, God made David king. And after he was anointed king, he did not march into Jerusalem and declare his kingship over King Saul. No, David waited and waited and waited on the Lord. In fact, it almost seems that David continually denied himself any rights towards such an office while King Saul was still living. Over and over and over, he demonstrated great honor and respect towards Saul. Amen. He called Saul the Lord's anointed. 
And when one came to David declaring David's triumph over his enemy and that Saul was now dead, David examined him. And when he found out the man had been a part of Saul's death, David examined him further. And when he found, and then asking him how he could so lightly have laid his hand on the Lord's anointed, and he was killed on the spot. It cost him his life. I will not do anything against the Lord's anointed. I believe that David had a love for Saul that was never returned. Never truly felt by Saul. David loved this man who hated him. David was anointed king, and yet for a long time, he never had a kingdom. But was instead constantly on the run for his very life. Over and over again. And in our passage today, he leaves Jerusalem again. And now, as we have come to this scripture, David is established king of Israel. And Absalom, who was never called to be king, raises himself up against David, determined to throw, overthrow the king, his own father, and take the kingdom to himself by force. At this time, Absalom was now the oldest living son of David, for you will remember that he has killed his half-brother Amnon, who was actually the older brother. And this put Absalom in a position to naturally assume the throne. He was on a mission. Absalom's on a mission for self-promotion. So you have David and Absalom. And you have Absalom and David. And Israel is confused. For where envy, envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. You see it right here. Envy and strife abound. And the fruit of that is confusion and every evil work. You look through these surrounding chapters and you see the roots of envy and strife digging down into the soil of Israel's heart. And then you also see the fruit of national and personal confusion and everywhere, every evil work. There is no shortage of envy and strife with Absalom. Envy and strife characterize his very himself and his plot. It fills up this chapter and it spills over to the surrounding chapters. No wonder Israel's confused. She has lost true north on, on her national and her spiritual compass. Friends, this was a time of conflicting loyalties and betrayal. And the question still before Israel is this. Who has your heart? Who has your heart, Israel? 
To whom does your heart belong? Where is it? Now, if you would, look with me at verse 12. <clears throat> Chapter 15 and verse 12. <clears throat> and Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. Let me read that again. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gileonite, David's counselor, from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. There's a spiritual battle going on here in Israel. This is spiritual warfare. And the battle just got more intense. And the, the confusion meter is at its peak. Absalom now solicits, solicits the support and service of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. Now, if you remember, Ahithophel had been David's friend and trusted counselor. This move was huge. This was huge. One writer says that there were many in Israel who considered Ahithophel to be a prophet. And according to the scripture, he had that kind of counsel. It says in 2 Samuel 16, 23, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracle of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with Absalom. That's why David prayed, O oh Lord. Um, how did he say that? Uh, Turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Absalom is not shooting a bow at a venture when he seeks to secure the help of Ahithophel. Now, you think about this. He does not want to jeopardize his cause, and he certainly doesn't want to see this whole thing backfire on him. Perhaps he sees a crack in the door, and he is there to take advantage of it. According to the list of names given in 2 Samuel chapter 23, it appears that Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And when Absalom sends for Ahithophel, he does not find him in Jerusalem with David. He finds him in his own city, Gilo. Friends, don't underestimate Absalom. And outside of grace, don't underestimate yourself or myself outside of grace. Praise God for grace. Absalom is wise to evil, and he will stop at nothing to gain his own just cause. Absalom wants to be, be vindicated for the wrongs that he believes has been done to him. 
and there is no one better for him in his cause than David's old friend and counselor, Ahithophel. Absalom stole his heart too. Ahithophel has turned his loyalty and allegiance from David to Absalom. The word says, and the conspiracy was strong for the people increased continually with Absalom. Let's say again that you're in Israel and you see a prominent and respected leader, a noble statesman joined now with Absalom. What are you supposed to believe? The conspiracy was strong. Ahithophel has defected and he has pulled many with him. And if you questioned Absalom before, how can you doubt him now? He has Ahithophel. Who had counsel as though he were at the oracles of God. We ought to understand something, even today, of the pull and weight of conspiracy. Mm -hmm. I used to, I can't remember where I saw it, but there used to be this vortex at maybe a ch children's museum. Round, huge round, and had a hole in the middle, but it kind of sloped down like a cone, and you would put a coin in a slot, and that coin would start going around that vortex. And the closer that it got towards the end where the hole was, the faster it got. Boy, it seems like this conspiracy is like a vortex. It has increased, and it has increased greatly. It didn't stay small. It didn't stay on the outer part. Boy, it just kept going all the way down. Do we see the serpent in this? How long has Ahithophel nursed this grudge? And certainly in this case, the sin and wrong that David committed was real and hurtful. Bathsheba was his granddaughter. Perhaps which is a warning to us to be on our guards, not to be a stumbling block to those within or without the church. Amen. Absalom does not have to twist Ahithophel's arm to get him to join him. Ahithophel is there, ready to offer his service. There is no longer just a crack in the door of this grudge. It is swung wide open. Ahithophel is no longer a silent enemy holding a grudge inside, but he is a forceful avenger. This will not only strengthen Absalom's cause, but friends, 
This will be as a knife in the back to David and his company. Commentators believe that Psalm 55 was written by David concerning this time of his life when many abandoned him and joined Absalom in his rebellious cause. And that perhaps even part of this chapter in Psalm 55 had reference to Ahithophel. And I want to read it. Psalm 55, 12 through 14. <clears throat> For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. How sweet. No, we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. It wasn't an enemy. Uh, I wish it would have been an enemy. I could have borne that. It wasn't just one that hated me and magnified himself against me. I could have fled and hid myself from that. But it was thou. It was thou. Mine equal, my guide, my friend. And oh, how we took sweet counsel together. And walked into the house of God in company. <clears throat> Nothing will cause the heart of a church or a pastor to melt quicker than that a professed child of God who has worshipped with you and had sweet communion together with you should leave and go back to the world and back to their sin. Have you ever had a friend or family member leave the cause of Christ, leave their profession of faith? This kind of defection and betrayal goes all the way through you. I think it shakes a man. It can shake him to the very core. Touch his very soul. And it takes the preserving grace of God to persevere in that time. Amen. Friends, we need to be on our guards. We live in a day where the love of many shall wax cold. And brethren, we need the grace of Christ to stay the course, to stay true to his cause, and faithful to the end. For, for we ourselves are flesh and blood. We need to fight through, pray through, bear through for ourselves and for our brethren and sisters in Christ, for our families, for our friends, neighbors. When Judah found out that Syria and Israel had joined together against them, the word says in Isaiah, And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved. And the heart of this people 
as the trees of the wood are moved with the wind. Who can fully measure the harm that is done when a pastor, leader, deacon, or simply a church member who has professed Christ and worshiped together in company with the house of God and has went back and followed Christ no more? Do we think that Jesus himself was immune to this kind of hurt and betrayal? John 6, 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back, went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered. For all of his faults, you got to love Simon Peter. Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. <laughs> and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve? And one of you is a devil. Jesus knew betrayal. David knew betrayal. The church of Jesus Christ today knows betrayal. Some of the tears. That might be wiped away. By our Savior. Might be perhaps some tears of betrayal. On this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Brethren, we're told in Hebrews 10, For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. <clears throat> Friends, we never have to or ought to seek vengeance. We have a Lord and a judge who will make all things right. Amen. And every time we take communion, we're reminded that our Savior himself was betrayed. Christ instituted the new covenant on the night of his rejection and betrayal. Pastor reads it every time we take communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Who has your heart? Where is your heart? Our hearts must first and foremost belong to God, Amen. who is the source of all love and grace, and then they must also belong to one another. May God grant that our hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father, 
and of Christ. And may we, in the same night in which we are betrayed, take bread and love our enemies as Christ loved us. Amen. Amen. And when we ourselves are tempted and tried, may we say with Simon Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. If there be one tonight that does not know Christ, turn to him tonight. Repent of your sins. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Your heart will be safe with him. And may God in Christ sanctify us. Would you please stand? And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. May